If you'd like to become a podcaster like myself, please go to howtopodcastbetterthananyone.teachable.com and start your podcasting career now. On this episode, I go over the death of a Chicago man. I discuss an old but local St. Pete mystery. I discuss how a husband slash father started a new life. And I cover a whole bunch of other stuff, including questions from the audience. I'm Ed Denzel, and this is Unfound Live for June 19th, 2023. Hello, everyone. It is the Unfound Live Show for June 19th, 2023. I hope everybody is doing fantastic out there. I have a great show for you lined up tonight, as is usually the case. Got a nice uh, potpourri, nice, nice buffet, smorgasbord of information, news, stories, stuff going on at Unfound, uh, international news uh, to talk to all of you about tonight. And of course, for all of you who are now watching this live, I hope that you will uh, take part in the chat and comment, of course, on whatever I am uh, talking about here. And uh, of course, everybody in the live chat, for this uh, 9 p.m. Eastern show that happens every Monday on YouTube on the Unfound podcast channel. I hope that you will uh, think about asking me some questions tonight. Whatever is on your mind, it does not have to be, of course, true crime related. Whatever you feel like doing, feel like asking me, you do so as long as it is PG rated and it is not too personal. Also, you know of, uh, I say this every time, I hope you will uh, give this video a thumbs up and, uh, of course, subscribe. We have a good chance of getting to uh, 20,000 subscribers on this channel before the end of the year, which would be neat. And um, so there you go. Give this uh, video a thumbs up. Like I said, just do it right now. And if you are listening to this as a podcast on Tuesday the 20th or someday after that in your podcast application, please give this live, unfound live podcast a nice review if you could. So what else is going on? Uh, Other things that you might think about doing while you are watching and listening is if you'd like to contribute monetarily to unfounded what we do here. You can hit that little um, box at the bottom with the little uh, dollar sign in it. You can monetarily contribute. That would be really nice. And then also, maybe if you want to just join this channel and get some things that other people do not get, hit the join button below. And you can check out what you get there. And then you can subscribe to this channel be a member of this channel that way. Once again, that's right below 
where you are seeing me on your screen. Of course, if you are on a phone, you might have some difficulties doing that. So you might have to get to a regular computer or a tablet to be able to do that. So let's see who is in here, and I'll go through um, just some things that are going on, and then we will get to the meaty part of the show. Hello, Karen. What's going on? Nephew Charles. I talked to your uh, mother a couple days ago, Charles. Hello, Charlotte, Jasmine, Lisa, Mark, and Indy, Kathy, and uh, Carrie. What's going on? Uh, good to see you, Assistant Carrie. Hello, uh, Cherie. Thank you for moderating. Stacy says, hello, everyone. I used to tune in every live, but it's been almost three years. Excited to be tuning in tonight. What happened, Stacy? What happened to you? Where did you go? What did you do? How have you uh, missed it for three years? Inquiring minds would like to know. Maybe you found it a little more convenient when it was on Wednesday nights. That maybe is uh, a factor. Maybe your work uh, schedule changed or something like that. Either way, Stacy, good to see you in the chat. Coffee lover, good to see you as well. So what's going on with me since last uh, Monday? Really not a lot. Um, I got my Father's Day card mailed out to my dad. He got it on Friday. And he really liked it. It was a um, Jeopardy themed, if you can believe it, uh, Father's Day card. First time I ever saw something like that. and. That was kind of special because one of the things when my dad and I are together, uh, one of the things that I always make sure to do with him is um, watch Jeopardy together. That's something, even though I'm busy and doing whatever, that we take out that time to uh, watch the Jeopardy show, and uh, he always likes to count how many uh, questions I get right, and I usually do pretty well. Of course, it's easy. There's no stress involved, but it's not unusual for me to maybe get 25 answers or something like that, and of course, it helps that uh, I do trivia every Wednesday or Thursday night. And that always uh, keeps my mind sharp. So when it comes to Jeopardy, uh, I usually do pretty well when I'm just sitting there with my dad. You should know. Otherwise, I don't watch it at all. I have no idea what's going on uh, with that game show. But when he comes down here, I go up there. Uh, we always make it. I always uh, watch Jeopardy with him. And so when I saw that card, and it wasn't like it was even at a a uh, special card place. It was, um, you know, it was just a Publix in their card section. And so I was like, well, this is, this might be like the perfect Father's Day card ever. So I couldn't pass it up and he really liked it. And then of course I called him on Sunday, uh, yesterday after we did the think tank, uh, which is something you can, uh, partake in if you are a premium Patreon member, patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. So um, 
all of you. Maybe you did something special uh, for Father's Day if your fathers are still around. And I feel bad for you if your fathers are not around anymore. Of course, my mother is not around. So Mother's uh, Day is not quite the same anymore. But Father's Day yesterday. And um, so there you go. Uh, let's see what everybody else is saying here. Uh, Marty, what's going on, Marty? Mel. Mel is uh, – Mel, it's a secret. That's funny. Uh, new subscriber to this YouTube channel, Mel. Thank you so much. And uh, you're loving it. That makes me feel really good. Thank you so much, Mel. Deeply appreciated. Stacy says, yes, when it was Wednesday night, it was better because I was off. I listened on Apple Podcasts the next day. But now I get done work early every on Mondays so I can tune in. Well, bonus for both of us then, Stacy. Bonus for both of us. Good to see you again. Uh, Twinkle, what's going on with you? And, uh, yeah, everybody is saying hi to everybody else in the chat. Okay. The other thing is that, uh, speaking of my dad, uh, probably going to Pennsylvania sometime uh, around July 20th, something like that. I have a one-day disc golf tournament on the 15th. I think that's a Saturday. And uh, then shortly after that, Gonna go to Pennsylvania and be there probably till the first week of August. I will be uh, there for my next birthday, which will be my fifty-third. I'll be turning fifty-three. Can't believe it. Uh, on uh, can't believe I'm fifty-three. I just don't know where the time has gone. It's just so crazy. Uh, but so I will be up there. And just for a couple weeks, I told my dad, I haven't given him any dates or anything, but I told him that I will be going up to see him. And this is usually, you know, I usually pick like the nicest time of uh, the summer to go up there. Of course, I spent uh, Christmas up there last year, and it sounds, Charlie, like I'll be spending Christmas up there this year, too, given uh, your mother's plans. And, um, so I usually go up there, like I, like I said, July into August, especially when my mother, uh, was alive going up there when my birthday is because, you know, Ma, she always liked to throw parties and stuff for me. So I couldn't pass it up. So I always had to be in Pennsylvania for my birthday. And that even kind of goes back to when I still lived in Las Vegas, and I would go back and make sure I was in Pennsylvania for August 1st. So, uh, like I said, sometime around July 20th, 21st, some in the early 20s of July, I'm going to be going up there, probably going to be flying. And I'll be up there for a couple weeks, and then I'll come back. The cool thing is that there is actually a disc golf tournament happening uh, very close uh, to where my dad lives. It's going to be at Moraine State Park on a course that I've played many, many, many times when I've been up there. And so I've signed up for that tournament. So on that Saturday, I think it's July 29th, it's a two-round tournament in um, uh, in July, end of July. 
And so I'm going to be playing. It's just convenient, really, how that works out. And it's only one day, but it's two rounds. It's a pretty long course, but I'm going to be playing uh, from the shorter tees, so that'll make it a little easier. But I, I don't know how many times I've played that course. 20, 30 times or something. Some crazy number. And um, But I've never had a tournament. I've only gone and played it by myself. So this will be interesting uh, for me to play in this tournament. I just signed up for it today. And I think I was the last person to get in. So I'm excited about that. Uh, I'm going to be playing in MA50, and I think I'm the only person in my division. <laughs> but uh, that's all right, just to be there and for it to all work out, because this has always been something that's been on my mind. Can I go to Pennsylvania and while I'm there, actually play in a disc golf tournament while I'm there? So this is going to be the first time that I am making uh, that happen. And so we'll see if it goes. And of course, I will surely be the only person from Florida playing in that tournament. So there you go. I, I And while I'm there, I'm um, sure I'll see my brother Michael, get to see my sister Diane, probably see my buddy Brad, and uh, who knows what else uh, I'll do up there. Of course, I'll continue to do my work. I will take my computers with me and this microphone. And I'll do some live shows up there. I know many of you have watched the live shows that I do from the bedroom uh, where I sleep, the, the other bedroom. Uh, so many of you have known about it. You have watched those live shows. So that's where I'll be. I'm sure my dad and I, dad will do some cooking. I'm sure that dad and I will go out and uh, do a little out eating out. We'll probably go to this really cool Chinese buffet place not too far from where he lives where I love to pig out. And we'll see what else we're going to do. But uh, so that is the plan for the end of July. So that's easily, of course, that's well over a month away. So uh, Charlie, Charlie says, cool, looking forward to seeing you in December, right? So I'll be there July into August. And then um, I'll be back up there for at least uh, December 15th through Christmas because all of you should know my sister Diane is celebrating her 50th wedding anniversary uh, on December 15th. And she's having this um, get together. She's renewing her vows with her husband, Jim. And uh, they're having it at this place in Catanning, which uh, is, you know, a, I don't know, less than a half hour from where I, I grew up in Leechburg and only like uh, 40 minutes or something from where my dad lives now. So that's all going to be going on uh, in December. So I'm going to be going to Pennsylvania twice between now and the end of the year. And, uh, oh, awesome. You got to dominate. Yeah, uh, it'll be interesting, um, Marty, for me to play against a bunch of Although I'm not competing against them, like I said, I'm only going to, I'm going to be the only person in my division. So I don't know how that works out. I guess I get the win in my division, which will be win number 10, I guess. But, um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how I fare against, uh, some Pennsylvania players. I can tell you, uh, this Marty and the rest of you is that 
my experience is that Florida players tend to be better than average than the average because once again you have to remember although you know you know you never know what Ed you know which Ed Denzel is going to show up but being that we get to play all year round down here that certainly helps so you know even going to up to Illinois kind of noticed that noticed it when there were worlds down here you just kind of look at everything and when you get to play more uh you generally get to play better you know you're playing better so I would hope to do well against the other players there, even though I'm not actually competing against them because uh, I'm not playing in their divisions. Uh, like I said, I'm playing MA50. I would usually, you know, maybe play inter- intermediate, which they call MA2 or MA40, but those divisions are already full. If I wanted to play in that, I would have to get on a wait list and then have to hope that people are going to drop out. And I don't want to do that. I just want to know for sure that I'm going to get to play. So I signed up for MA50, which is a division I play here, of course, in Florida uh, as well. Uh, Once again, I want to remind everybody that to give this uh, live show a thumbs up as you are watching uh, tonight. Please do so. Do not forget to do that. Hello, Veronica. What's going on, Veronica? Veronica is a spectacular name, by the way. I think Veronica, I don't know why that is. Veronica is probably one of my top 10 favorite women's names. I don't know what, I don't know why, but I don't know. It just uh, has a great sound to it. Veronica, good to see you. Fishing, hey, all storming here. Electricity on and off. So goes internet. Love your show, Ed. Hey, fishing, what's going on? Uh, fishing, uh, you'll have to remind all of us, where are you that this uh, electricity is going on and off? I know that uh, I've seen just a few days ago in Texas, they had uh, some tornadoes touchdown in Perryton, which uh, maybe some of you don't know, is very close to um, that... Uh, you know, to Canadian Texas, Perryton, Amarillo, Canadian, they're all in that general area up in northern Texas. But Perryton uh, got hit very hard by some tornadoes. But where are you fishing? Uh, Coffee says that and Susie, um, that's funny, Coffee. Uh, what co- uh, Coffee is mentioning there, that and Susie is that. Um, maybe I've, uh, coffee, uh, maybe I've mentioned this on the live show before is that, uh, there's something about the name Suzanne in my life. There's something strange about it. And, uh, but it is, it's a fantastic name. I do love the name Suzanne. I think it's great. Um, the fact is, is that my my, my biological mother's uh, name, and if you've seen Charles, you know Charles here in the chat, who is my nephew, his grandmother, her name uh, was Suzanne, and I kind of for a little while in high school dated a, a girl whose name was Susie. Then I had another girlfriend 
because she went by Sue. I think she was a Susan, technically. She was not a Suzanne. She was a Susan, but still very close. And then I have another ex-girlfriend who actually is a Suzanne. So there's a Susie, there's a Sue, and then there's a, a real Suzanne who goes by the name Suzanne to this day. And then, like I said, on top of that, my biological mother's name is Suzanne. So it's just something weird, but it is a great name. I can't, I can't dispute that. Thank you uh, for bringing that up, Coffee. I had to explain that. Yeah, uh, Mississippi had uh, some bad weather too, Charlotte. Thank you. Fishing, Ayrton, Alabama, Lower Bama, right at Florida Bama line. All right, so by Mobile, Alabama, been through there. Okay, I so up in the Panhandle, far west Panhandle into Alabama, been through that area. I, I can remember driving into Mobile and you kind of go through that uh, tunnel fishing that kind of goes under the water or something. That's what I remember about driving into Mobile. Been up there a few times. Mel, we had five, three tornadoes here. Most of Tulsa, Oklahoma is without tr- electricity. Wow. Okay. Coffee, I did not know your bio mother's name. I just know you had two ex-girlfriends uh, named Susie. Yeah, and my biological mother's name is Suzanne. And then fishing is saying the Dothan area. Okay, thank you, fishing. All right. So let's move on to some unfound stuff. I got a lot of, um, I have a couple questions. Once again, if anybody wants to ask me a question uh, in the chat, do so. Maybe you'd like to contribute through the super chat. While you are doing uh, that, so um, so I have a couple questions uh, to answer tonight, but you know, I love to answer your questions. does not have to be disappearance or true crime related. Let's start here with the David Wagoner poll. And you know, I have to admit that in doing that episode, that it was very important to me that of course, his name is not Wagner. It's W-A-G-N-E-R. It's W-A-G-G-O-N-E-R. So I did my best. I promise. I did my best to try to make it three syllables. Wagner, not Wagner. David Wagner. It's really, it's very, very subtle. David Wagner, not David Wagner. David Wagner. So as usual, I um, put a poll in the discussion group. Did not get a ton of responses to it. Maybe we need to work on that a little bit. But uh, that is a uh, – I like to do that. I like to uh, see how an episode uh, you know, hits people, how they react to it. What do they come away thinking? We try not to push people in any particular direction on Unfound. I'd like to think that of all the true crime hosts out there that I'm not trying to tell you what to think. Maybe I'm trying to teach you how to think, but I'm not uh, trying to tell you what to think. But in the discussion group, overwhelmingly, the group decided that, yes, David's disappearance was caused by the sheriff and his deputies. Overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly, like like 90% 90 of the respondents decided that there was, so I guess we could say foul play 
in the disappearance of David Wagoner. Can't really blame those people. Um, certainly shady what was going on in San Jacinto. And yes, it is Jacinto. Uh, I had somebody, you can see it, somebody, uh, a comment for the video here on YouTube said, you know, it's with a Y. And during the think tank last night, uh, once again, patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. If you'd like to take part in the think tank, you got to sign up. Um, uh, one of the people in the think tank is a Texas resident and she knows that it actually is San Jacinto, not Jacinto. I think if it was California, I think it is San Jacinto in California. But in, Tal- in Texas, California, Texas, it's San Jacinto. They actually do present the J for whatever reason. And you know, I would like everybody to realize that you'd think, being that Diana has been living with her brother's disappearance – since 1971, she lives in the area that she herself would know how to pronounce the county. You'd think. But still, I got somebody saying, no, that's not how you pronounce it. You know, what can you do? Um, so it is San Jacinto. So the sheriff, San Jacinto, Sheriff uh, Parker and his deputies in the discussion group, the uh, respondents, the people who answered the poll, said that, yes, they had something to do with this disappearance. Now, you should know, and I can't say that I'm too surprised by this, that the think tank, it was almost complete. It was completely the opposite direction. There was not, I don't think there was, there was not one person who thought that it was foul play. Everybody um, decided that uh, David caused his own disappearance and committed suicide. Why we get these huge swings, and this is very common, very common in the discussion group for people to think foul play, very common in the think tank for people to think the exact opposite. It's very common. This is not the first time. This is probably like the 50th time that's happened or something. Uh, Why that is, still trying to figure that out. Maybe because in the think tank, uh, if you were to take part and be a member and r- really talk this out with other people that just come to different conclusions. It's just, you know, the, the sometimes the more you think about something that the more you might change your mind on it, maybe. But in the think tank, overwhelmingly, the decision was that David caused his own disappearance and it was most likely a suicide. Why? Well, we talked about some of those things, talked about his upbringing, talked about his military service, talked about him seemingly having some problems in civilian life, a lot of things put together. Once again, not telling anybody what to think. I'm just telling you what the results were. And for me, the blog that I write at at patreon.com, once again, you have to be a Patreon member to read it, but it's only $2 a month. And I also came to the, the conclusion that it wasn't, it was not foul play, although I will have to admit that didn't go full, 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 full blown that he that David killed himself. Uh, I'm still very open to the idea that he just went for a walk and something happened, an accident happened or something like that. The thing for me is that if he was thinking about committing suicide, you know, why did he leave his bike in such a place that it could be found. It's just, 
it's a little hard to understand. I'm not saying that's never happened before. It's happened many times. But that's something that um, that really kept me from saying 100% that David committed suicide. But I, I, I just didn't think there was any reason to believe that Sheriff Parker and his deputies caused the disappearance. They very well may have. But I just think if this were a thing going on in San Jacinto over those years, there would be other families like David's out there saying, hey, my loved one disappeared in San Jacinto County. And there's just nothing like that. And I'm not even saying just because, in, of course, we got into that. I got into this big uh, thing about NamUs and how San Jacinto County doesn't have any disappearances between before 2004. Absolutely true. But still, that has not kept David's family from being out there and saying, you know what? His bike was found in San Jacinto County. You know, something happened. There's just nobody else like that. So that also gives me pause to think probably it wasn't foul play. In addition, when they did all go to trial there in the early 80s, there were no allegations that uh, that they killed anybody. They certainly did uh, harass people tortured some people and everything but there was no there was no murder charges so we just have to keep that in mind um uh think thanks felt bad i had to leave early yesterday but my wife had a father's day cake for me gotta do what the family gotta do uh but we i think marty then if you're gonna bring up cake in the chat you have to tell us a little bit more uh about that cake all right, we you, your your goal is to make the rest of us hungry. If we're going to bring up the cake, you got to make the rest of us hungry. So, what kind of cake? Chocolate or is it white cake? Uh, you know, where was it from? You know, did did you have ice cream too? We want to know everything. Veronica, thank you. I'm sorry for the late response. My internet went out. I thumbs up on my way in and back. Thank you, Veronica. All right, Mel says uh, where he is, Marty. I'm in the suicide camp, unfortunately, say it's a sad case. Okay, Marty, thank you. Yeah, you had to leave before we got to the end last night. Patty3, what's going on? Hello to you. And um, good to see you tonight. Uh, I got a piece of my kid's leftover donut from earlier in the day. I think it's a good indication of where we stand in our respective households. Rockford gets a partial donut, and Marty gets a whole cake. Rockford, you're just going to have to work harder. Uh, coffee. I think he went for a walk, got hurt and wasn't found. Okay. Coffee. I kind of lean in that way too. Um, Marty, uh -huh, I got it. Love it. Rockford. At least your kids sharing my kids when not. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know. I, it's been so long since I've had any cake. Uh, you, you know, I don't even know if I can eat cake. Uh, I've gone, you know, said so much about my eating habits and how I really have to watch what I eat these days. I'm allergic to things and digestive issues and everything that it's sometimes up in the air what I can eat and what I can't eat. Uh, for example, I can eat all the, like the, like chips and cheese, you know, queso. I can get Tostitos chips and I get one of those Tostitos big jars of that orange cheese or whatever. And I know it's drunk. I know it's horrible for you. I can eat that by the gallons and not have any digestive issues at all. I can eat Cheez-Its. I can eat chicken wings, hot sauce, everything. I have no stomach issues, nothing at all. But 
On the other hand, if I eat potato salad, I mean, it's not the potatoes. It's the other things in the potato. It's the relish. It's the celery. My body hates that stuff. So there are a lot of so many things these days that I love that I cannot eat anymore. I can eat all of the lactose-free ice cream in the world. Don't ask me to eat an apple. It's so weird. Um, yeah, uh, Rockford, it's not sharing if you wait until they're asleep, Marty. Okay, Marty and – all right. So let's get to some news. Uh, I want to talk about this young man in uh, Chicago who went missing. And then uh, very sadly, his body was found in the Chicago River. And I, I'm guessing this is kind of a national story. And uh, maybe some of you, when you saw the Chicago River, you think, who do you think of? Probably you think of Jesse Ross. At least that's what I did. So I want to read this, and uh, I, I think I once again have to go over my thinking on this type of situation. It's very, very sad. What's going on here? And then, of course, I have to talk about the smiley face killer hoax again. A body recovered from the north branch of the Chicago, Chicago River has been identified as that of a missing man who was last seen leaving a concert at the nearby Salt Shed Music Venue Monday night. You should know... This salt shed music venue is right on the river, right, right there. The Cook County Medical Examiner's Office said the body pulled from the river near the 1300 block of North Elston Avenue at around 9.45 a.m. Saturday is Noah, Noah Enos, 26 years old, and an autopsy expect, is expected to take place to determine the cause and manner of death. Now, you should know the 1300 block of North Elston Avenue is right where the salt shed is. It's not like way down river. It's like maybe a quarter mile, you know, right there. In fact, I think that the salt shed might even have a 1300 something address on North Elston Avenue. So the body was found right near the venue. Enos's girlfriend, Nicole, Nicole Wiss, W-I-J-S, Previously told NBC Chicago, her boyfriend went to the King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard concert with a coworker. I've never, I've heard of that group. I don't think I've ever heard their music. Enos texted her and sent her messages on Snapchat throughout the night, including a picture inside the venue. She said her last message from Noah was around 9 p.m. His phone died about an hour later. They did review some of the footage and they saw him and his coworker walking around the venue at around 9.30 p.m. They said the show ended at 10 p.m., so there's a 30-minute gap that they're looking in to see maybe where he could have gone into the venue. Wiss said Noah's co-worker told her the two got separated as the show was ending. Family and friends have been posting his pictures and sharing the missing person flyer on social media. While Chicago police are trying to piece together the timeline of events, Wiss said her boyfriend means the world to her. The two have been together for two years but have known each other since middle school. Incredibly intelligent, charismatic, caring, wonderful person, wonderful boyfriend, wonderful dad to our two dogs. She said, not the type of person that would end up leaving without a question, without a reason. Of course, these are all things she said before he was found. Wiss said Noah had just started a new job at Frontier Restaurant in Wicker Park. She told NBC Chicago he and his co-worker went for drinks at Big Star in Wicker Park before taking an Uber to the concert. I love you so much. I miss you. I'm sick. I'm crumbling without you. She cried. I'm scared. I'm so worried that you're not safe. Once again, this is 
which he said, of course, before he was found. Wherever you are that you're not being taken care of, I just want you to know your coat. I want you home. So it's very, I mean, how long have we been talking? Even, you know, these this kinds of disappearances have been taking place well before Unfound even existed. Unfound got started in 2016, but my perception is this kind of disappearance in finding of young men's bodies in bodies of water. I can remember the first time I ever read a story about the smiley face killer. I remember where I was living. I was living on Raggedy Ann Lane in Las Vegas. Yes, that was the name of the street. Raggedy Ann Lane in Las Vegas. It must have been 2008 into 2009, somewhere in there is the first time I ever heard about the smiley face killer. And, you know, and of course, I believe it's a hoax. I believe it's all crap. But, I, you know, um, these uh, happenings where young men go out, they go primarily to bars drinking, they disappear, and then eventually their, their bodies, not just remains, but their bodies are found uh, in bodies of water, usually rivers, and mainly happening, coincidentally, up in this like mid, kind of upper Midwest area. Illinois, Minnesota, Wisconsin, although this type of disappearance happens all over the United States. But it seemed like there in the mid-2000s that this was coming onto the radar and people start looking for reasons. Why is this? And then somebody noticed that where these bodies near where they're found, they're spray painted like a smiley face. And that's how this all got started. And so the belief uh, of some people is that there were people, a group driving around who are preying upon drunk young men and attacking them and, you know, killing them or something or throwing them, they being, they're drunk and they're being forced into the water and then they drowned something like that. In fact, there's even a disappearance that happened in Pittsburgh, not necessarily my home city, but I know that city well, having grown up near there that a young man, uh, some years ago, I forget how long ago it was now, but he was out with friends. They separated. The video shows him. He had to walk home, and he had to walk across one of the bridges. And if you don't know, um, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, has the world record for the most bridges in a city. If you didn't know that, it's because of all the river, the three rivers that are there. But um, he was supposed to walk across one of these rivers. He never made it home. Eventually, his body was found downstream from Pittsburgh in the Ohio River. And uh, in my opinion, unfortunately, um, the family and uh, you know the, what I would call opportunists are looking at his uh, death and saying, "Yes, you know, there's no way he would have gone into the water on his own. There's only one way, and um, he must have been thrown in. He must have been pushed in. He must have been forced to get into the water, even though there's." Of course, there's no video of him going into the water, but it didn't look like anybody was following him or anything like that. Now, my response to all of this is that you've heard me say this before. 
the reason that some people die after going out and getting drunk and being by themselves is because drunk people can't swim. And I'm not trying to be funny. Drunk people can't swim. And if drunk people, we know the problems that drunk people get into driving cars, driving the wrong way on streets and then killing other people and maybe, you know, maybe themselves too. We know of like some famous athletes who have been on boats and drunk and hitting wharfs and hitting piers and killing themselves, killing others. We even know of pilots who have gone, you know, into planes and been drunk. And, and this is what drunk people do. Not all drunk people, but when you are like this, you don't know what you're doing. And you never know when this kind of thing can happen. You know, it's one of those things that somebody can go out and drinking and then drive home a hundred times, drinking and driving, just blatantly drinking and driving, gets home, never hits anything. And then the hundred and first time, all of a sudden they're going the wrong way down an interstate and, you know, run head into a, you know, a family of five in an SUV and killing everybody. That's how it works. That's how it works. Of course, what catches my eye in a story like this, and given that I've been to some concerts over the last few years, either going back to 2019 with my best friend Doug going to Iron Maiden, or going uh, a couple times with my brother Brian uh, to see Kiss over at the Mid-Florida Amphitheater. In fact, I'm going to be there this weekend. Or going to see Iron Maiden with my buddy Dana and when we went to see The Cult. And Dane and I are going uh, to see the Misfits and Megadeth this coming weekend. In all of those situations, I've never gotten separated from any, any of those guys. And they're all different venues. When Doug and I went, we went to the uh, down in Sunrise, Florida for Iron Maiden. Uh, you know, the times that I've gone with my brother Brian, we've gone over to the amphitheater at Southside. With Dana, it was one time to the Amelie Arena where they play hockey, and the other time it was over at Ruth Eckert Hall, which is more traditional theater. None of the times that I ever get separated from any of them. So this is a little hard to understand. How do two people who go to a concert together get separated? And what are the odds that then one of them ends up dead? It it's something that I can't understand. On the other hand, I don't drink. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm as non-drinker as you're ever going to find in your life. In addition, the people who I've gone to, whether it's my brother Brian, Dana, or, or Doug, um, although I think they all drink, none of them were drunk. And I think maybe that's a factor of being with me. I don't drink, and it's funny how when you don't drink, other people maybe feel a little strange of not drinking, and that suits me perfectly fine. But we aren't drunk going to concerts. So that also helps us not getting separated. We just have to realize that we think of alcohol as being dangerous in particular ways, and it has to do with driving or flying or... Um, boating 
or or just drinking to excess alcohol poisoning like John Bonham died or uh, like Bon Bon Scott from I think it was ACDC. I think he drank himself to death and, uh, you know, toxic alcohol poisoning. We know many famous people have had that up into them. We think of when it comes to alcohol, these are the dangers we talk about. We're really a lot of deaths from alcohol are none of those. They aren't, you know, acute toxicity or driving or anything else. It's being drunk and not knowing what you're doing without any machines or anything else around. This is what is going on here. No, we, you know, it's not like an epidemic. It's just that these things stick out. You have to remember how many millions of people in the United States have gone to concerts uh, in the past year. Millions, millions. But how many of them got drunk and then died because they went into a body of water or something? Very, very, very few. We just have to understand that it happens, but we have to put this all in the statistical context. But it's very sad. Now, I have to admit that one of the things that has come to my mind regarding this, and I've talked to some of you, um, maybe not you're not in here as those people aren't in the chat tonight. Um, one of the things that also comes to my mind as a guy, being that this is usually men who are doing this, you know, women get drunk too. But it very well could be the guys are going down to this body of water to relieve themselves and they fall in. They slip and fall in, or they're just staggering around and fall in. Uh, as we know, drunk people have a hard time walking straight. Drunk people don't see so well. You know, a lot of things put together that all can add up to drunk guy falling into body of water. Why? Because he's standing next to that body of water, whether it's a lake or pond or river or whatever else. This is how I think about these things. In contrast to all these people who think that there's a roving band of people just looking to push drunk people into bodies of water, what I would say to them is if you could prove that, I don't know what you're doing with your life right now. I don't know if you're an accountant, an engineer, or whatever else. But if you could get out and prove that, you'd surely make way more money, more fame, more fortune than anything else. If you could get out and prove that more than anything you're doing with your life right now, if you really believe it. Okay, if you really believe it, that's what you should go do and prove that. And so we can stop these things. Personally, I don't believe in it. I think the only way to fix something like this is for people to not drink. And we know that's not going to happen. It's one of those things people are going to choose to drink or they're not going to drink. As a non-drinker, you know, I've realized that for many, 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 many years. And some people like to drink. Me, I don't drink. Because uh, being around my friends who I care about very much, they don't become better people when they're drunk. And so that would be – so then I start thinking, well, I would not be a better person when I'm drunk, so I probably shouldn't do that. That's my reasoning. So – and on top of the taste and everything else, that's horrible. But it's very sad, and I, I don't know how you – don't know how you um, stop these things from happening. 
when you have millions and millions of people going out, having good times and doing things that are going to, you know, cause their brains not to think straight, you're going to have issues like this once in a while. That's just, that's just, that's just going to happen. You know, if we were in uh, some other country where, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I understand Muslim countries, you know, drinking is, is not a thing or whatever. I'm not a culture expert, but if we're in North Korea or some other countries that are very, very strict and keep an eye on their, their citizens all the time, then maybe these things don't happen in the United States and other countries where people are free. Adults are free to drink as much as they want. We're just going to have to live with the fact that these things happen. Um, but it's very sad. Um, I, I, I'm not inclined to believe that this guy went to this uh, concert looking to uh, kill himself that night or jump in, jump into the water to kill himself or anything. But you know, this is what happens. If your brain is messed up, uh, whether, you know, and who knows, who knows what else he might have been doing besides drinking, um, then anything's possible. Anything horrible on the map is possible. I mean, even for non-drinkers like myself, the world's a dangerous place. It is. It's all for all of us. Any of us could go out and drive and, you know, and into an intersection. Somebody blows a red light, smashes into us. Here we are, stone cold sober, following the law and everything, and we still get killed. This is that's the way life is. Um, but you certainly up your chances for bad things happening when you're doing things that you know ruin the actual thing that runs everything, you know, for your body. And this is what it seems like to me here. When I start hearing about people getting separated after a concert, I start thinking, especially with, you know, the phone situation and everything. I just start thinking this is a guy that maybe had to go to the bathroom. The river's right there. He strolls down to the river, falls in. And if he were sober, he might've been able to, oh, this is stupid. I got to swim to shore. This is just great. How did I end up doing this? You're drunk or doesn't even have to be drunk, 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 drunk. All it needs uh, is um, for your faculties to just be a little less than 100%, and you'll drown very, very easily. So what's everybody uh, saying here? Uh, Marty says it was red velvet cake. Oh, my goodness. Local bakery, it's unbelievable. You don't say, Marty. Bowling, what bowling? What's going? Showing's grave was a hundred miles away. Uh, was about a hundred miles away this year. Seamus Gray, Rockford. I lived in Chicago for a while. I'm a hard drinking town. It's a hard drinking kind of shock. This doesn't happen more often. Recent other cases include Peter Salvino, Christoph Stubert. Well, that's a name. I had wasn't a group of retired police officers and or detectives that came up with the smiley face theory initially. And then the story went wild. It was. And that that's what makes it empty. That's what makes that hoax even worse. It was some retired detectives from, I think, New York City who came up with this. You talk about a couple guys with too much time on their hands. This is, <laughs> once again, 
when we're looking to answer for answers to for these types of things, you, you now see why education is so important to me regarding disappearances and things like this. The two retired detectives who were on a police force for all these years come to that conclusion. They can't really believe it. They're certainly doing it for the attention. I cannot believe seriously that those guys really thought that. I cannot believe that. Um, but they got popular because of it. And, um, you know, sometimes people don't like looking a gift horse in the mouth. Rockford, also not trying to be funny, but drunk people find creative ways to answer the call of nature. Yeah, especially. Yeah, that's right. Falling in. Uh, hello, Veronica. Yeah, um, bowling 80-ish miles from where he was last seen, I think. Seamus Gray. Um, thank you, Bowling. Rockford, I don't recall a city concert I went to where I left with exactly the same people I entered with. Excuse me, I rode city. Did I just burp? I rode city because we would walk and not drive. Very common for friends to peel off and meet later. I don't know. That's maybe, I don't Okay. Uh, Charlotte, there were two men that were drunk and got into a fight in a house here in Lima, Ohio, and fell in down the basement stairs, and both of them died. I remember that story, Charlotte. It happened about 20 years ago or something like that. I think I know that story, Charlotte. Fishing is laughing. Charlotte, I don't drink either. I was around too many drunk people when I was growing up. Bowling, all these YouTube shows I've watched of yours, this is the first time I'm noticing your light shadow on the back wall. Uh, on the back wall, uh, Seamus was a USN service member. Your light back shadow on the back wall. Well, unfortunately, what you're seeing back there, a little movement, is my TV was on for a while, and now it's shut off. But the back shadow, oh, right, you're seeing it right there. There you go, bowling. <laughs> London, Lorden covered Seamus Gray with a watch, but I think it's the same old story. Name sounds familiar, uh, like I said. Um, you know, I, I know this has happened a lot. I'm not going to say one of them wasn't some sort of foul play, but on the whole, I think these are just a bunch of accidents. And because, you know, when you're doing these things and going out and who knows what else is going and we only, you know, remember, we have to remember that in these uh, narratives, we only know about the alcohol. We don't know about anything else that these people might have been doing. Which these days is more likely than ever. Um, fishing. I was laughing at what and how you said what you did at the time. Um, okay. Fishing. All right. So that's a story. It's very sad. Um, to those people who believe in the smiley face killer thing, I just wish they'd quit all their jobs and go prove it. Take out loans, live off that, go out there and try to find these people. If you believe it and you're willing to get on to go on web sleuths and Reddit and argue with other people how you think the rest of us are just naive, just go prove it. I don't have to prove anything because my proof that drunk people uh, you know, do things they shouldn't be doing, I can just you know, look at the news every day. You're the ones that have to go out and try to find these killers, not me. Unfortunately, I agree, agree. Drinking never leads to anything good. It does not. All right, moving on. Uh, another story that I want to talk about. And 
you know, I, I, in this one, I, I'm not going to get into any names of disappearances that I think Unfound has covered that uh, fall into this. I don't, I would, don't want to do that. But I'm certainly open to the idea that a few of the disappearances that we've covered are like this. LaGrange, Indiana, of course, anybody that's a uh, ZZ Top fan. Uh, LaGrange, remember that song? A missing person's cold case dating back to 1952 is solved. And a family finally has closure. You know, we don't like that word, though. Ralph Stutzman mysteriously went missing 71 years ago, leaving without a trace. Nice cliche. His remaining family finally got answers Friday afternoon, so this is just a few days ago, to questions they've been asking for the past seven decades. Closure was the word many of them used to describe how they felt. While many of Stutzman's surviving children never thought they'd get any answers behind their father's disappearance, new technology helped them connect the dots and connect with long-lost family members. Ralph Stutzman's 1952 disappearance could only be explained by rumors for the past seven decades, but decades, but now thanks to the help of genealogist, a genealogist, the Grange County Sheriff's Office pieced the puzzle together for good. Ralph Stutzman was actually going by the name Delbert Schrock, and he had moved to Florida. Through all that, we've identified some family members and stuff in Florida, says LaGrange County Sheriff's Office Department uh, Detective Stephanie Mickham. It's actually that extended family which led investigators to realize Stutzman and Schrock were one in the same. Through DNA submissions, where they've submitted their DNA, there was a match to the Stutzman family, and that's basically how the genealogist got a hold of me and said, hey, I think I've solved one of your cases, Detective Mickham said. Stutzman left 13 children behind when he vanished from LaGrange County, and now his grandchildren are older than he was when he disappeared. It's a relief for my mother. For years and years, she always said that she would like to know what happened to her dad before he died, and she's 92 years old, Ralph Stutzman's grandmother. Uh, son Ben Boyd said, uh, finally, he gets the answers his mother's been waiting for. Ralph ended up passing away in 1968, and it's still unknown why he ever left. But what is known is that his family back in the Hoosier State can finally move on. So this guy fathered all these children. I don't know if it's by the same woman. Uh, it's just I, I could have picked out several different articles that have covered this. But he had 13 children in Indiana. And uh, I don't know what the circumstances of his uh, disappearance were. If he like was going to work, maybe there's maybe something out there uh, about that. But he went missing, and weren't sure what to think. 1952, of course, this is going back uh, to uh, you know around the time that Evelyn Hartley went missing from Wisconsin, and uh, who they didn't know, and now. Through DNA, and of course what happens is it seems some of his relatives maybe going to Ancestry.com or whatever else, submitting their DNA just to see their family background. That then goes, uh, got into the hands of this genealogist, maybe Othram, that company Othram or one other one. And they were able to put together this family in Florida with all these people in Indiana. And the common factor was this guy who had been known by Delbert Schrock whose actual name was Ralph Stutzman. It seemed he lived like 16 years 
uh, after he went missing in 1952. He died in 1968. You know, we just have to realize that a lot of people are living with secrets. Um, maybe not to this extent. But just as an example, and maybe this is just because uh, I lived in Vegas, Las Vegas for 13 years, and I had a wide range of uh, friends there given all the different things that I did there. For example, I was shocked. Now, granted, you have to remember these women are you know, around my age. So they're in their thirties too, or, you know, on the edge of their forties or something like that. But I was shocked for, this is just an example to find out how many of them like in their late teens or early twenties had worked for escort services, had been strippers. And once again, to meet these women in their thirties, and what they were doing with their lives, you would have never, ever suspected that they were into that stuff. Not putting that stuff down, but you know what I mean. I was shocked. But, you know, sometimes you find things out about people if you're around them long enough. And lots of people living with secrets out there. Uh, Ed, are you living with some secrets? Not really. I've had a very, very boring life. I'm here to tell you. But a lot of people are living with secrets. And so maybe this story, although certainly rare and outrageous, should not shock us too much, especially when um I, I think that I think what I'm saying here is dare I say, a, a guy with 13 children maybe we shouldn't be too surprised that he figured out, I don't know how I'm going to feed all these kids. And I'm guessing once again, that these were not all by the same woman. So he had to juggle exes and everything else. We shouldn't be surprised if a guy like that runs off and wants to start a new life somewhere else. Horrible decision, completely immoral, completely, completely, completely. Um, but that shouldn't surprise us, maybe. And in fact, we've not really covered a disappearance like this where it was some guy with all these children and then he goes missing. And But always open to the idea in a disappearance like this that, yes, the person did run off. And because he didn't want the responsibility and because he wanted to be a single guy again, like Robert Hoagland. Look at Robert Hoagland. It's not a disappearance we covered, but it's one we all know about being that it was solved within like the last year. And I talked about it on this live show. He just decided he didn't want to be a father and married anymore. He was supposed to pick his wife up at the airport, never did that. And he moved an hour away to a different state and was there how long, 10 years or something like that. And if he had not had that heart attack or whatever did end up killing him, um, we still wouldn't know what happened to him. We still wouldn't know. But now that we know that he went and lived by himself and everything, we now know. He just didn't want to be married anymore. He didn't want to reach responsibility and all these other things. Horrible. So um, 
Now, some of these people do get found out and before they die. And one of the reasons ways that ways that happens is, you know, if they do end up starting a new family and people start asking questions, the new wife or the new husband, women run off too, uh, whoever, they start asking questions. Well, you know, we got married when you were 40. Well, what did you do for that other part of your life? And people are very nebulous and everything. People start to suspect. And then you have kids and kids start wondering, where are my grandparents at? Where are your parents? Start asking a lot of questions. And sometimes these people do get found out before they die. But then you have like a Robert Hoagland or Ralph Stutzman who uh, die. And then it's not until afterwards that this is all figured out. Uh, what is everybody uh, saying here about this? Um, uh, Sheree is correcting me. It was LaGrange, but that's a town in Texas. Thank you, Sheree. Of course, it's a town in Texas. It's ZZ Top. It has to be about Texas. Thank you, Sheree. Uh, Delane, good to see you. Good to see you tonight. Marty says, what a great dad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ralph seemed like a real winner. It'd like uh, be interesting to hear what his new Florida family had to say about him. If they ever suspected that whatever story he was telling about his life wasn't true. Um, I don't know if that's out there or not. Um, uh, Coffee says, my life is boring. Uh, Marty says, skeletons in the closet. Oh, you just don't know, Marty. Uh, especially maybe because I was in Vegas for all these years. Skeletons in the closet all over the place for people. Marty, I'm pretty sure this guy's out of the running for dad of the year, probably. Um, Charlotte, there was a woman who disappeared years ago and was found in a nursing home in Puerto Rico. That's true. That was actually a disappearance, I think, from Pennsylvania, Charlotte, or Ohio. And I, I don't know if I ever did talk about that. I remember that story. But, yeah, she was – um. It seems to me she had some things going on, uh, Charlotte. Uh, she liked to get out in the street and and you know talk about the end of the world and stuff like that. And all of a sudden, she's in Puerto Rico. I don't know how that happened, but yeah, I remember that that story. So yeah, these things happen. All right, let's move on to the couple of questions that I got tonight. And I don't know if these two people, I got Lisa and Lorenzo. Uh, I want to answer their questions tonight. And once again, anybody has any questions that'd like to ask me, please post in the chat. And if you'd like to contribute through Super Chat, don't hesitate to do that um, as well. Hello, Fairy saying hi, made it before the end. Good for you, Fairy. We got almost an hour left. So uh, sit back and relax. Lisa asked, uh, what is the camel? Maybe it is about the time that I explain the camel to everybody. If you're in the discussion group, you're on Facebook, you know that when I post the link to this live show on Mondays, I always use a camel joke. The camel's doing this, the camel's doing that. And I try to be somewhat topical with the camel. Like, you know, when it's Christmas time, I make a joke about the camel singing Christmas or Thanksgiving or, or whatever else. And being that yesterday was Father's Day, I 
uh, stated the camel got some father's car father's day cards. Little did I know is, is, uh, you know, I put, I had no idea or something. And so what I do is I pretend that I live with a camel. And I know that sounds very, very funny, but here's how that all got started. It got started when the show used to be on Wednesdays and that there is that, what is it, a progressive commercial or is it Geico or whatever, where uh, the camel's like walking through the um, the office and, you know, it's the camel day and the camel's getting all this attention and everything else. And eventually that be kind of became a thing, you know, hump day that came, kind of just worked its way into the marketing of this live show. And there, there still is, I talked to her once in a while, but it doesn't seem she tunes in for the live show. Her name is D and she used to post camel jokes, camel pictures, uh, in the discussion group. Once again, back when this live show was on Wednesdays and it just got to the point where I was pretending that yes, there is a camel and that I live with and make jokes about. That's just how it came to be. That's, it was not planned by any means. But when the show got moved to Mondays, which has been a little over a year now, I just couldn't let that camel thing go away because I think it's so funny and interesting and it, and it's kind of creative and everything. So I continue to pretend, at least on Mondays, that um, the camel lives with me. And so I'll make jokes. And for example, um, you know, I made a joke like when I went to PDGA Worlds last year in Illinois is that, yeah, the camel uh, said something about, yeah, the camel wants to go to Illinois too, and he can, but he's going to have to walk or, you know, something like that. So it's not that I just pretend to have a camel, but this camel um, is – you know, has human intelligence too, of course. So um, that is how the camel got started. And uh, Lisa, you're in here, Lisa. Good to see you. Hello. Thank you for the contribution. Thank you, Lisa. Um, that's probably been going on three years now, something like that, that the camel uh, joke Continues. I've made, you know, spring break jokes. I've joked about the camel. You know, he's trying out his new Speedo uh, for the summer. You know, who knows uh, where I have to go, you know, because I have to come up with 52 jokes a year about a camel. So it does, it really does test my writing and I, I enjoy uh, being challenged like that. So that is how the camel got started. It all started when the show used to be on Wednesdays and everything. Um, Mary says, thank you, Marty. I just moved near a lake, so I'm on island time. Okay, fairy. Uh, Twinkle says, I love reading about the Campbell. Wonder if he can get a book deal. I, I, the thing is, Twinkle, I don't know who would want to deal with the Camel. You know, he'd have to, you know, get, I mean, who, a literary agent? I mean, the camel is so hard to deal with. It never, no, nobody wants to deal with him. I don't want to deal with him, but I have to live with him. So he might have to, he might be able to write a book, but he's going to have to self-publish and everything because 
No publisher agent's ever going to want to deal with him. Uh, Marty says, I live my life on island time, Ferry. Uh, I live on, a, on an island, but far from tropical. Long Island, New York, up there, Marty, in Long Island. Or as the, not Long Island or Long Island, however they say that in that New York accent. I've never been there. Never been to Long Island. Out there, um, you know, the Hamptons and everything. I think when I think of Long Island, I think of uh, Seinfeld, Marty, all the the times they went out to Long Island, like um, Hampton Peaches or Hampton Tomatoes or all of that stuff. And um, I think the episode of You Gotta See the Baby also happens out on Long Island. So um, that's what I think of. Uh, I've only ever been to New York City once. Twinkle, he's pretty hard-headed. Yeah, yeah, figuratively and literally, Twinkle. The other question I got was about, what about this submarine? If you haven't heard, I didn't even know this was going on. But you can actually pay as a tourist, if you have the money, to go on a submersible or a submarine trip to the Titanic. And this all works together because the next found episode, which is a series I do for Patreon members, once again, patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast, if you'd like to check it out. Yeah, uh, Sheree, I'm going to get to that. Thank you. Um, I'm going to be doing, I'm going to cover the Titanic. Remember, it was missing for 74 years. It went missing, missing all those years, and then was found in 1986. I'm going to be talking about that in the next found series, found series, which is once again is only for Patreon people. Um, but I didn't know that as Shri is stating for $250,000, you can go on a submersible down to the Titanic and see it like a tourist attraction, like going on safari or going to the top of Mount Everest or whatever. You can go down and go over the Titanic, just like James Cameron did back in the 90s when he ended up doing the movie Titanic. Well, there has been the disappearance of that submersible. Now, you have to think this isn't totally, I I don't think a totally, you know, like we necessarily think of a submarine. This is one of those scientific things that has a lot of glass. And, you know, once again, if you've seen the movie Titanic, it's something like that. You're going down and the glass has to be very, very thick due to the water pressure and everything. It's really not supposed to be a tourist, you know, vehicle. It's really meant for science. But if, you know, if people want to pay, people aren't going to turn down the money. So one of these has gone missing. The missing submersible, submersible, which is named Titan, is part of an Ocean Gate Expeditions tour exploring the Titanic wreckage, 900 nautical miles east of Cape Cod, Massachusetts. The private company charters trips to explore the wreckage with its research teams. I have to admit once again, didn't even know this was going on. Rear Admiral John Mauger, the commander of the Coast Guard District, leading the search, said authorities received a call for help from Ocean Gate on Sunday afternoon after the crew lost contact and the submersible missed its return time. He said the Coast Guard immediately launched a surface and aerial search 
to find or recover the submersible and any survivors. Really brought all assets that we have available to us bearing on, bear on finding the submersible and the people in it. We understand from the operator of the submersible that there's a 96-hour reserve capacity on there. And so that gives us some time to search, affect a search. But when something happens on the high seas, it gets complicated quickly. One of the missing crew members is Hamish Harding, the billionaire owner and chairman of Action Aviation. I've never heard of him. A post Sunday on Harding's Instagram account said he was joining the Ocean's Gate expedition as a mission specialist. Typically a one-time crew member who pays a fee to join the effort. The fees from the crew, these crew members underwrite the mission, the participation of the science team in their own mission. Ocean Gate's website says the company said it was working with numerous government, government agencies to aid in the rescue. Our entire focus is on the crew members in the submersible and their families. We are deeply thankful for the extensive assistance we have received from several government agencies. Uh, Coast Guard officials said in a news conference Monday afternoon, that's today, that they have deployed two C-130 aircraft for an aerial search and that the sonar buoys can listen to a depth of 13,000 feet. But you should know the Titanic, I think, is deeper than that. The New York National Guard is providing a third C-130 and the Canadian Coast Guard provided a C-130. If you don't know what a C-130 is, it's um, like a cargo aircraft. It's a propeller aircraft. Um, He's very popular uh, in the Air Force and with other um, Air Forces around the around the world. Does a lot of different things. It can be just a cargo or a, in, but one flies over. There's a Coast Guard C-130 that flies over my place all the time. They're always training and everything. And maybe you've even seen me take some videos of it. Coast Guard said it was relying on commercial boat operators that were already in the nearby waters. Uh, as well as Ocean Gate's mothership, Polar Prince, for help. Mauger added at the news conference that the Coast Guard is working to expand its capabilities to include an underwater search. Ocean Gate's expeditions includes, include a 10-day trip with 18 dives off a larger boat to a maximum depth of 12,800 feet. People pay as much as $250,000 to join the exploration. Ocean Gate's website says that during visits to the Titanic site, its teams collect images, video, and laser and sonar detail for scientific study, document the condition of the wreck, and gather information about the flora and fauna using the sunken ship as their maritime home. Considered the world's most famous shipwreck, the Titanic was an opulate, and they talk about when it sank in 1912. The wreckage was discovered in 1985. I thought it was 1986. About 350 miles off Newfoundland, Surrounded by debris, the ship's two main pieces are around 2,000 feet apart. Continued fascination with the Titanic has sparked a tourism industry around it and its seeking, particularly after the release of the eponymous 1997 film by the director James Cameron. Uh, Marty says, haha, love Seinfeld. Hamptons are beautiful but overrated. Um... Marty says, found is a great series. Don't, series. don't just take it from me, everyone. Sign up for Patreon and start taking in the monthly series found where I talk about disappearances that were eventually solved. Uh, Mark, no way in hell I'd ever get in anything that is going to potentially go to the bottom of the Atlantic. Ferry says, my dad was a submariner for the Navy. Wow. Mark, a friend from high school was on submarine in the Navy. I'd be scared to death. 
Bowling says it's supposed to pop up and float if it didn't crash into something. Yeah, so if bowling, so it's mechanical failure. I think somebody, once again, this is one of those things where I'll try to portray this in layman's terms. Um, I'm sure there's some videos out there that have already been done in YouTube people with this kind of experience, um, you know, talking about what this is all like. But you have to understand something is that if there was a flaw in that submersible, if there was a small crack or something like that, that it, you know, those things don't, they don't explode, they implode. So here you have this submersible, like let's just call it a sphere. And of course, I know this is an audio show too, but I have my hands up like in the shape of a ball. And so you're in this ball, you're 12,000 feet down. You have all this water on top of you, all this weight around you. And if there is a flaw in whatever you're in, it doesn't explode. Like it, we, we think about like airplanes are up in the air, you know, when there's like an explosion, whether it's, you know, shot down or there's a bomb on board or like TW-800, a gas tank explodes. Of course, they go boom, you know, outwards. But at that depth, if there is a problem, it compresses. It implodes like this. It just... And it happens so quickly... You know, it's not like, in, you know, it might be portrayed like in the movies, if you've ever seen any sort of movie about submarines or something like that. And there's a leak in the submarine and water starts pouring in and they have to do whatever to try to stop the water from coming in. If you're at depth and there's water coming in, you're dead. Because of the water pressure, it will just crush a submarine, anything else. And it happens so quickly that you you won't even notice it. It's like an explosion. It's just the opposite direction. So there would have been no way for if there was a problem that popped up something like that, that anybody could got gotten off any sort of distress call. It happens. I'm serious. It happens like this. No matter how big the submersible or submarine is, boom. Boom. And this would also happen. It wouldn't even have to be any flaw like in the building of it or anything. If they couldn't propel themselves, if they couldn't get to the surface, then they continue to sink and they go past what they call crush depth. Done. No different than you stepping on a soda can. That's what it's like. But it's like split second. You don't, you don't, you won't even feel it. You'd be dead. Wouldn't even feel it. So we have to be open to this possibility for the submersible. Now, somebody's saying there was like a uh, something on it. If something went wrong, it would pop to the surface. Maybe. I don't know. I guess it would depend on what went wrong. But not looking good uh, at this point. Uh, this is dangerous stuff. Um, to my knowledge... Uh, there have been a lot of trips down to the Titanic since it's been discovered in the mid-80s. I know it said 85 in that story. I thought it was 1986, but um, we're going to be working on that. been a lot of trips, and maybe we should be surprised that there hasn't been something that has gone wrong sooner. 
It's been 37 years, 37 years since they've been going down to check it all out. And maybe, unfortunately, maybe the, the statistics just added up. You know, you just take risks so many times and then one time people don't come back. You know, it's no different maybe than uh, going to space. All those times you send people to space, going to space is dangerous business. And then once in a while you have a Columbia and you have a Challenger, you know, and I, of course, the uh, Soviet Union, of course, when it was still the Soviet Union, they had their problems too with putting people into space and everything else. Very dangerous business. Going to space, going to the, you know, the bottom of the ocean. And we even know something like scuba diving. A lot of very experienced scuba divers are dying all the time. Get, uh, very, very, very dangerous. Uh, going down, checking out wrecks. You lose, uh, you get stuck, you get the bends, all sorts of bad things can happen. But this is not, uh, I would say that this is not looking uh, very good at this point. It very well may be that, you know, if they're stuck somewhere in the bottom, there's like 96 hours of air or something like that. But doesn't sound good to me. Um Uh, bowling says, so, so if it's a mechanical fair, uh, Guam has a beautiful memorial on base for lost subs. That would make sense. There is a naval base there. Bowling. Thank you. Twinkle. I mimicked the lady who said, come see the baby. That baby must've been looked pretty bad. Yeah. From Seinfeld. Yeah. You got to see the baby. Marty Mark. I'm with you. No way you're getting me in one of those subs. Veronica. I've always been fascinated in what your dad used to do, but I'm too scared to step into one. Yeah. And, um, if you're really uh, you know, a geek, I guess, when it comes to disasters, you know that the U.S. Navy uh, lost two submarines very close to each other, um, the Scorpion and the Thresher, due to uh, mechanical failures. And um, one, I think it was because they couldn't blow the air out to get to the surface. And the other one, they think it was because a, a torpedo exploded in the tube. Dangerous. Thankfully, since then, there has nothing like that has happened. We haven't lost any submarines since then, but it's still very, very dangerous. Uh, just because people want it's one of those things. Just because humans have figured out how to do it and continue to do it and successfully, and nobody gets killed, doesn't mean it's necessarily safe. It doesn't necessarily mean it's not risky. It certainly is risky. Um, you know, it's one of those things like when we look at NASA, you look at how many astronauts got killed uh, in, in before we ever made it to the moon. Then we look at the shuttle, you know, disasters. If NASA was a air aviation, was a commercial airline, uh, the government would have shut it down long ago for all the deaths. But going to space is a dangerous business. Um, Bowling said bubbleheads. I don't know what you're talking about there, Bowling. So that is Lorenzo asked me that question, but that's the latest. That's the latest story um, that I could find on that. 
Um, very sad. Let me go to a couple found thing or unfound things, and uh, then we'll go to another story that is actually a national story that is local to me right here in the county in which I live, Pinellas County in Florida. Uh, once again, we want to remind all of you, uh, I hope you'll think about joining Patreon, patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast, because the next episode of found will be coming out. I'm going to say within the next week to 10 days, and I'm going to talk about the disappearance and then the discovery of the Titanic. And I've just been doing, I know once again, having just done that story, but I was going to do this anyway. I decided like months ago that this was going to be one of the disappearances that I covered because we have to remember the, the Titanic was missing for 74 years. It went, it went to the bottom of the Atlantic ocean in 1912. And like I said, that, I thought it was 1986. I'll get to the bottom of that. But in the mid eighties, it was finally found. And it is a, and just reading a lot of stories, it is fascinating. What went on between 1912 and when it was found. And, you know, just to give you a couple of examples, Clive Cussler wrote a book about raise the Titanic even before the Titanic was found. And there was a movie made about it that came out in the late 70s. And once again, they're talking about raising the Titanic before the Titanic was ever found. And remember, it wasn't until the Titanic was found that they figured out that what the, how they thought the ship sank was wrong. And uh, I've read a lot of stories from like the 1950s and 60s about all these um, schemes people came up with on how when the Titanic was found, how they were going to raise it to the surface again and what they were going to do with it and everything. And even though the ship had not yet been found. And you find out that some people did go look for it and they just barely missed it. Just barely missed it, like by a mile by a couple miles, which in Atlantic Ocean terms is not very far. And what's fascinating about it is that they knew exactly, even though they didn't have GPS back in 1912, they knew exactly where the ship sank. Still couldn't find it. That was the something else that uh, is also very interesting to me. So I'm going to read all these stories and I think that, um, of course, I'm going to read stories from 1912 about what they wrote about the sinking at the time. I'm going to cover a lot of stories that were written all over the time that was missing, all those 70-some years. And then uh, we get to how it was discovered. And how it was discovered is a fascinating story. I'm not sure how many people really realize how it was found and by Ballard, this guy last name Ballard. And what – and discovering it was actually connected to him doing a top-secret mission for the U.S. government. So uh, it's going to get into all of that in this next found episode. Um, NT says, what – there's 44 people from all around the universe, and we live very close to each other. 
That's for, okay. Uh, some for some bubbleheads or slang for some Mariners. I don't think I've ever heard that. Uh, Coffee said people tried to tell them it broke in two. They didn't listen. That's right. Yep. We're going to get into all of that coffee in the next found episode. So be looking for that. I'm really looking forward uh, to covering that within the next uh, seven to 10 days. Also, uh, to remind all of you, I do have a merchandise store. You've seen me uh, show off some of those things on this uh, on this live show. We're going to have a 25% off sale on Wednesday. So, um, unfoundpodcast.myspreadshirt.com is the website. And I'll be posting, I'll remind, I'll be getting up Wednesday morning and reminding all of you uh, that on that day, we're going to have this special 25% off sale, anything in the store. So please, would love to get some uh, merchandise out there. I'd like to see uh, some of you wearing some of the merchandise, hat shirts, take pictures, send them to me. I will post them on the website. I'll post them in the group on Facebook, everywhere else, on Instagram. So everybody can see all that stuff. And so one of the ways I want to do this that um, is to have this very special sale this Wednesday. So that would be uh, June 21st. And that doesn't matter if you are in Australia or wherever else. If it's June 21st where you are, then there will be a 25% discount. So... Please think about that. And once again, if you forget, I will be reminding all of you on Wednesday. Uh, Marcus says, are we to believe that the Titanic hit an iceberg? Not that I'm doubting that. No, it certainly hit an iceberg. But um, what we're saying here, Marcus, is that for so many years, uh, what was the, the popular story was that it, it stayed in one piece as it sank. And we now know that it didn't. And even though it's like coffee saying there were people there who saw it go down, people in the lifeboats who said, yeah, we saw it go down, but the people, the powers that be didn't want to believe that. And it wasn't until they went down and found the Titanic on the bottom of the Atlantic ocean to find out there's one section over here. And then there's a smaller section, you know, quite a distance away. Marty says he got his hat. Wears it all the time. Unfound hat. I got to get more merch during the sale. Marty, I fully support that choice. Moving on to, um, uh, of course, something else. I need to once again tell you about my podcasting course. How to podcast better than anyone. It's how to podcast better than anyone. Dot my sh- dot, uh, dot teachable.com. I better do that again. How to podcast better than anyone. Dot teachable.com. And I'll have you know, I know some of you have gone. I see the statistics of people who are uh, have visited the site so far. And I realize maybe you look at that and you get a little sticker shock. Okay. Kind of get it. And in fact, you should know that just within the last week, I had a discussion regarding this with uh, a former guest of Unfound. I'm not going to mention his name, but we had to talk about this. And, um, I think it's certainly worth it. If you're serious about podcasting and you want to do a serious podcast, I realize that there are, uh, courses out there that are only like, you know, $49. 
What I would tell you is they're probably not worth it. They're probably being done by people who really don't podcast every day. And on top of that, you know, this is an education that you're getting. And this is something, it's not like you're taking golf lessons. We know that people, are, golf lessons can be very expensive, but we all know that very few people who take golf lessons are actually ever going to get that money back. They'll spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on golf lessons and balls and clubs and membership fees and everything else, and they'll never get a dollar back from it. Okay, they're just doing it because they enjoy it or whatever else. Whereas with podcasting, you can actually make money doing this. I'm making money doing this. Um, and so I would prefer that you think about it as an investment. It's not money that's going down the drain. It's money that you will get back, unlike if you're taking, once again, golfing lessons or whatever other type of lessons, music lessons and everything else, where probably you're never going to get that money back. So you can't, you know, really compare the two. I'm trying to give you skills in which you're actually going to benefit from them, of course, emotionally, physically, mentally, and monetarily. And on top of everything else, it's a one-time fee, and automatically you will get help from me. We'll get to talk about your podcast idea. You know, you've listened to the course, you've watched the course, you've heard what I had to say, but then you want to talk more specifically. Well, here's the genre, the, the kind of podcast that I want to do. You know, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And then I can help you one-on-one, -on -one and I don't charge for that at all. So once again, how to podcast better than anyone.teachable.com. Moving on, uh, this is something I really haven't talked about for a while, but um, and I really haven't worked on it too much recently, although I did work on it a little bit over the last couple of days. And that is I'm working on a TV show pilot for a fictional missing persons show for a series. Started working on this, must have been back in January, February, March. Kind of got put on the back burner because of me putting this teachable course together. And now that that's kind of where it is for, for a moment, uh, I went back and looked at this file. And, it, and if you remember, um, if you watched the last a show I did with Dr. Telesco. I think we even talked about that, about working together on a TV show or something like that. Well, this is what that is. And I actually sent her a file kind of with a rough outline of what the pilot would be and to how I'll set everything up. And um, I actually sent that to her today and she got back to me that she says she can't wait to look at it. And you should know Dr. Telesco is a filmmaker. If you don't know, she's actually made a, uh, a full-length movie uh, some years ago, and she has like items from that in her office down there at Nova Southeastern University. She does, you know, she does these sociodrama play plays that you can watch on uh, her YouTube channel. She's very much into writing scripts and acting and directing people and, you know, and... Um, so she seemed like a natural fit to kind of run this idea by her, get some of her input, 
And so I've been working on this. And generally, I, I, I can say that you know, I don't mind letting at least a little bit of it out of the bag. That imagine, and this is going to seem like a weird combo, but you should know that what I've done so far is very incomplete. Got a long way to go. But I'm trying to think of it as a combo. You know how, you know, when you're ever pitching anything, if you ever heard about Hollywood pitches, it's like die hard on a plane or it's die hard on a submarine. You've heard these things before. I know your elevator pitch, you know, if you're in an elevator, if you're a screenwriter or somebody and you have an idea for a movie and if you are riding in an elevator with some financier or producer or something, you got those so many floors to pitch that idea before the elevator ride is over. What are you going to say? You have like 30 seconds, maybe a minute. What are you going to say? And so my pitch, it's like the X-Files meets the original Jack Lord Hawaii Five-0. And it's the X-Files because as you know, if we're gonna if we're gonna do a fictional series about disappearances, that it has to be done honestly, and I think you can do that, and it still be very solid artistically. I really believe that. And the thing, of course, I'm a huge X Files fan, anyway. But what was the big thing about the X Files? Yes, it's about the supernatural and everything, but what was it really about? You know, you had this overarching thing or, you know, these aliens going to attack Earth and everything. But there were these individual episodes. You always were kind of, even though it was kind of wrapped up at the end of every episode. There was always, you know, uh, kind of something still hanging out, you know, hanging in, forgive the pun, hanging in space out there. None of the episodes were ever neatly tied up into a little bow that everything is answered and everybody can just go on their merry way. All right. It was always something, even though you thought like the plot was concluded, there was always a, still a big question mark about something that still maybe doesn't make sense. That's kind of the way I see disappearances is that even when they're solved, there still could be many questions. I mean, maybe the perfect example is like Tom Brown as an example. Esther Westenbarger. Yes, she was found. Yes, she was found in her car. But we still don't know, was she drinking and driving? Did she fall asleep? You know, how could she be on the wrong road just a mile from her house? How could that happen? Maybe she was drunk. Maybe it was something else, as an example. Um, of course, some of these disappearances where people run off into the woods and then are found deceased, and it doesn't look like Matthew Braswell, very sadly, recently. He's in this car wreck. He runs off. He's not found for a while, and then all of a sudden, some of his bones pop up, and they're identified as him. Very sad, but still, how does that happen? So, it's the episodes I see in them is they get wrapped up at the end, but even though the disappearance gets solved... Still maybe some unanswered questions there for every episode. The reason it's combined with Hawaii Five O, if you'll remember the the basis for Hawaii Five O is you have to remember that Jack Lord in the original Hawaii Five O, that bureau does not really exist in Hawaii. That's made up. 
There is not that agency that Jack Lord worked for doesn't exist in, in real life. But in the show, if you follow that, that was a bureau that was created by the governor of Hawaii to look into certain different special kinds of crimes having to do with, um, uh, you know, smuggling and, uh, you know, espionage and organized crime and everything. That's why those plots back then, even though it's a kind of a cheesy show now, that's why most of the plots were like that. And so in this, what I've done with this, so it's the X-Files, so you have a, a, two partners, but they work for a special bureau that has been created by the governor, and I, I'm just putting it in Florida right now since this is where I live, because the governor has a unsolved missing persons case in her family that happened years ago. And one of her campaign promises was if she ever became governor, that she would start a special department statewide for the state of Florida at the state level, kind of like the Florida State Police or Highway Patrol, in which all they do is look into disappearances. They look into old, unsolved disappearances. So that's the idea. And so I've been working on that, and... It's really all I want to say right at this point. There's no that I didn't make a script or everything, and you should know I have a lot of script writing experience. But right now, I'm just working out how this is all going to come together. But I think I have a pretty, pretty solid basis uh, for a disappearance that our main characters are going to have to try to solve in the uh, the pilot episode, a very intricate one. So, but once again, it's all about, you know, um, portraying these disappearances honestly. Unlike Without a Trace, where everything gets, once again, gets neatly tied in a bow and, you know, everything else. And it's just very slick. This is not, I don't see this as being a very slick type of show. The X-Files was not a slick show. The X-Files really... Very gritty. Of course, Fox Mulder, kind of an outcast. Uh, Dana Scully brought in. She's the skeptic. She's kind of keeping an eye on him, kind of reporting on him. But she's his partner. And it's kind of like that for this. No name for it or anything else. But I would say that I'm about halfway through the pilot. I know how it's going to get resolved. Still going to be questions at the end, but really the second half is is uh, what I'm working on now. So that is the TV show idea uh, that uh, I've started, and um, I know I'm biased, but it's certainly a better idea than uh, any other missing person show that I know about. I know that I know there's just some new show that has come out. I don't think it's gotten very good ratings or anything. And once again. Too slick, too whiz-bang, too convenient, you know, um, and that's just not how the world is. Um, let me see here. Veronica, best of luck, Marty. I'm scared to do one uh, or so judgmental, plus true crime is so saturated. I better talk about something that's going to knock everyone's feet off. 
Uh, when it comes to podcasting, Veronica, you have to do uh, what is most comfortable to you. And in fact, one of the things I talk about in one of the sections is that you can't read reviews. Marty says, I'm strongly considering starting a podcast. Just got to hammer out a solid idea for it. Just got to do something that goes along with you, your personality, your outlook, uh, how you handle your life, Marty. It has to be very natural to you. All right, one more story, and I will get to this Friday's episode. Who is, and this is right in my county, Pinellas County, Florida, where Clearwater and St. Petersburg are. 53-year-old mystery solved. After 53 years, St. Petersburg's oldest and most infamous cold case victim is finally identified through DNA. Sylvia June Atherton, mother of five from Tucson, Arizona. So she's from Tucson. She's found that direction south of me in St. Petersburg. All right, Charlotte. Good to see you. Thanks for joining in tonight, Charlotte. Good to see you um, tonight. Thanks for uh, taking part, Charlotte. On October 31st, 1969, two St. Petersburg police officers found a black steamer trunk. You know, it's like one of those trunks they like used to take on trains or when they people used to travel like on ships in a wooded area behind a restaurant at 4234th street south i've not looked up the address yet when they opened the trunk they discovered a woman's body wrapped in a large plastic bag the victim had visible injuries to her head and had been strangled with a man's western style bolo tie she was partially clothed in a pajama top the victim was buried in a grave named marked Jane Doe in Memorial Park Cemetery, 5750 49th Street North. I think I've driven right by there. Her body was exhumed on fe- February 10th, 2010, with the assistance of Dr. Aaron Kimmer- Kimmerly and the USF, United, uh, University of South Florida Department of Anthropology. Through the years, St. Petersburg investigators tried multiple times to identify the victim using her teeth and bone samples but the samples were too degraded. The mystery of the trunk lady as the case came to be known was featured on television shows, articles, and cold case conferences. This year, 2023, St. Petersburg's cold case detective Wally Pavelski discovered an original sample of the victim's hair and skin taken during the original autopsy and sent it to Othram Labs in Texas. In April, a DNA profile resulted from the sample and DNA profiles were obtained from her children to confirm her identity. We now know her name, Sylvia June Atherton. She was 41 years old when she died. Once identified, Detective Pavelski learned she had several children. He located and contacted her daughter, Sylvan Gates of California, who was nine years old at the time of Sylvia's disappearance. According to her daughter, Sylvia, Sylvia Atherton left Tucson, Arizona, with her husband, Stuart Brown, five-year-old daughter, Kimberly Ann Brown, adult son, Gary Sullivan, adult daughter, Donna, and her husband, David Lindhurst, and went to Chicago. Nine-year-old Sillen and her 11-year-old brother were left with her father from a previous marriage in, in Tucson. Adult son, Gary Sullivan, also eventually returned to Tucson to live with them. Pavelski was able to learn that Stuart Brown died in 1999 in Las Vegas. So weird, I'm connected to both locations. But there was no mention of a wife in his court records. There are still unsolved, unanswered questions in this case. Who killed Sylvia Atherton? I think it's pretty obvious who killed Sylvia Atherton. Also, the other two children who were left for Chicago with Sylvia, little Kimberly and 20-year-old Donna Lindhurst, 
haven't been located, and they may have additional information regarding the case. The St. Pete Police Department is asking anyone with information regarding their whereabouts, regarding the homicide, to contact Detective Wallace Pavelski at 727-893-4823. Here's what I think I know. Sylvia's husband killed her. I don't think there's any much much uh, doubt about that. Um, You know, what's interesting, of course, about any of these cases, when we start going back to the 70s and 60s, 50s, is that I'm sure back at the time, these killers thought they were really going to get away with it. Nobody would ever know. Not in 1970, not 1980, not 1990, ever. From the end of time, I'm pretty sure these guys, mainly guys, who have done these things, never thought that they would be identified. But could it, but they could have never predicted DNA would ever happen. And it's obvious to me that the reason he put her in Florida is to disconnect himself from where she was. Hey, I'm living in Nevada now. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know why she's in Florida. You know, he wanted to disconnect himself from us as possible, uh, from her as much as possible. In contrast to him living right down the street from where she might be found. Now, it seems to me, going back to this, I want to take a look at this. So they left Tucson, Arizona. Um, let me see here. They left Tucson, Arizona. Does it say here? That was found in 1969. It doesn't say when she went missing from Tucson, Arizona. It doesn't say that in this article, does it? It does not. All it says is she was discovered in October of 1969. So I have to look that up, but it's not in the article. It'd just be interesting for me to know the, the time between them leaving Tucson and her being found in that trunk in Florida. That might be interesting to know. And it'd also be interesting to know how long Stuart lived in Florida. So um, there's that. But this does, I guess, open up the idea that missing people are not close to where they disappeared. It does open up, you know, she's from Tucson. She's found in Florida. Her husband, who most likely murdered her, is in Nevada, you know, even Las Vegas and Tucson, although they're two states next to each other, Arizona and Nevada. Las Vegas and Tucson are not close to each other, not what I would call close. Now, of course, the big question is, where did everybody think they were going after this This is uh, still very up in the air? Where was this family supposed to be going? All of them leaving together. It's still very unclear to me where were they supposed to be going after the leaving Tucson? Were they supposed to be moving to Florida? Were they moving to Chicago? Were they moving to Las Vegas? Uh, I just don't know. But um, surely in this case, this husband killed her. Now, we have to remember there's two other people who are still missing. Uh, Kimberly and Donna are still missing. And I'm wondering if he killed them too. So then the question is, why was Sylvia found in that trunk in 1969? Or, you know, where are Kimberly and Donna? Were they also put in trunks? Were they put somewhere? 
We just don't know. I, I have to believe they're not alive. I have to believe that they were probably murdered too. But so this is a very, very intricate. Uh, maybe for next week's live show, if I have some time, uh, I can get some more dates and more information about where the family thought they were going. If this is even written anywhere, maybe I can go on newspapers.com and maybe uh, find some information that way. But this is, like I said, St. Pete, right down that way. That that behind me is west. That's north. That's south. That direction. Uh, Shri says, there was a man from Clearwater just found that had been missing since 1980, just a few days ago. Ronald Gilcrest, I did read that story. Shri, thank you. Yes. Right. Right. And then I, I don't have time to get to it, but uh, there was a story about uh, there was a fire and people got killed and they couldn't figure out what, where the third person was. And now here in the 21st century, that they took a look at the other remain the remains again uh, in the DNA. It turns out that all f- DNA all, of all three people were there. So for all these years, uh, investors investigators thought they only found two of the three people who died in the fire. When actually they actually did find all three at the time, they just didn't know it because science hadn't uh, could not tell at that time. So if you want to look that up, that is uh, from Brownstone, Indiana, and it has to do with uh, Michael Sewell, S E W E L L. If you want to look up that story, okay, uh, we got four minutes left uh, before the end of the show, and so now is where I reveal the disappearance that will be covered this Friday. I'm certain. uh, Yeah. Sheree's leaving, but I'm not done yet. So everybody hold on. Uh, That one happened near where I grew up. Okay, Mark, this Friday, it's going to be a two parter. And if it's two parter, you know, that means that the interview is pretty long. We are covering the disappearance of Mar Murray. This Friday, I interviewed her sister. Uh, We started an interview and it went long. And so we had to stop. Uh, We did the interview, started the interview on a Friday. I think that was June 9th. And then we finished the interview that next Monday. So that was a week ago. We finished the interview. And her sister, her older sister, Julie, will be the guest. And. I know many of you know the disappearance of Mar Murray. You know that Julie has represented the family. Of course, uh, Mar's uh, father, Fred, has done a lot of media over the years. But, you know, he's now 80 years old. And it seems Julie is doing more things these days, more of the media stuff. But I had emailed her a month ago, something like that, and uh, reached out to her. I'd never reached out to them before. And just thought it was time. Even Jasmine's thing. I thought you would never do her case. Uh, it just got to be time, Jasmine. Uh, it just got to be time. That's all I can say. And the interview is three hours. What's how's that breakdown? Like three hours and 20 minutes. And so it's being broken down into two parts. Part one and part two, they will come out the same time on Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern. 
but it's broken into two parts once again because the interview is so long. So what's going to happen is in the first part, I'll set it all up, do the summary. The interview will start, will go for 140 minutes, will go uh, till a particular end of the interview. And then I'm going to have some, th- I'm not going to wait like, like I did with uh, Keith Call and Sandra Haley, where I did all of my talking at the end. Um, the first part of the interview is going to play, then I'm going to have some things to say there. And then you go to part two, the interview will play there. And that I will then do some talking about the second part of the interview, what was covered in the second part. So did not want to, uh, what I would say, overwhelm you um, in giving you uh, what would pro- what's probably going to end up being like a three-hour and 45-minute episode or something all in one. So because I, I'm going to have a lot to say for both. So the interviews are split up to an hour and 40 minutes, an hour and 40 minutes, and then you're going to get me a little talky-talky after bo- in, at the end of both parts. Why was it time? Um, you know, I've been doing this for seven years, and um, it's a very involved disappearance. And, you know, I think it's just, you know, I just thought it was time. You know, the Murrays have been so attacked over the years. And now that myself, the podcast has a lot of credibility and things, and uh, I think we can bring, um, you know, a new sense of seriousness to this. Of course, the Murrays have always been serious about it, but a lot of true crime people have not been, to be frank. And too many people who are just getting into true crime for the first time, they automatically go to Mars case. Why? Because everybody knows it. Everybody wants to hear about it, you know, on on and on and on and on. And I never wanted to be seen like that. I never wanted to be seen as he's only doing this for the attention. So I ended up covering 290 some other disappearances before I decided, you know, I think it's about time that uh, we cover uh, Mara's disappearance. We're going to do it the same way we do with every other disappearance. Nothing changes. And um, so that's why. Uh, I, I thought it was time that um, I was ready to do it. You know, I think the, the Murrays, I think, are always ready to talk to people, you know, who are doing good work out there, I think. Uh, but I had to look at myself and determine, are you ready to do it? Because there's a lot of attention, you know, suddenly because of this disappearance, you know, the spotlight is on. So... Um, but like I said, we're, I'm covering this disappearance like any other. We follow an interview outline. I ask as good of questions as I can. Julie has a lot to say. She said all of that. We cover in a very factual way. There's a little bit of theorizing, not a lot. And so I, I think that, uh, it'll just be like every other episode. We're just covering it in a straightforward way as much as possible, but it was so much me making sure I was ready to do it. I, I was, certainly felt that Julie and the rest of the family was certainly prepared to talk to anybody who was credible. And so I, I finally decided, I think I'm ready to do this.
So there you go. This Friday, two-parter, The Disappearance of Mara Murray. Uh, of course, from 2004, February 9th, Haverhill, uh, New Hampshire. And her sister, Julie, will be the guest. And uh, this, we're going. You know, we did one from 1971. We're coming up to 2004. Be prepared over the next few weeks, though. I think we're going back to the 1970s for a little bit again. So uh, MT says Julie Murray is very matter of fact, a perfect match for Unfound. She did a great job. I agree. So that's all I have uh, for tonight. And of course, I'll start uh, posting a lot of things regarding Friday's episode pictures. I will be doing a map video for this as well. I haven't done one of those in a while. So everybody, everybody have a great week. And you will see see and uh, hear me or maybe even see me because we did this on Zoom, uh, myself and Julie, this Friday. Thank you so much. Give this video a thumbs up. Remember, Wednesday, 25% off in the Unfound store. Good night. And say hi to the boys for me, Charlie.